0: Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buchholz, and this is episode 108, Human Trafficking in Fiction, an interview with Lynn H. Blackburn, coming to you on Thursday, November 8th, 2018. I just had the most interesting conversation with Lynn, talking about the research that she did and how she found out that there is human trafficking in her own town, which was a pretty horrifying thought. And so we spent a little bit of time talking about that also talking about the research of her romantic suspense series that has to do with a dive team that's part of the police department. So that was really interesting. And then our conversation just kept going into writing routines, how, what a writing day looks like, um, trying to schedule her uh, commitments to her publisher around homeschooling two of her kids, having another child in special needs in a, in a classroom in a public school, and juggling everything with her husband. So it was a really interesting interesting interview. And um, we, we talked quite long because as you know, us writers, we start talking about writing and we can't stop. So I am going to leave this at a very short introduction and let you just listen to Lynn. She's really fun and interesting. And I know you're going to love this interview. Today's guest is Lynn H. Blackburn. Lynn is the author of Beneath the Surface Hidden Legacy, and Covert Justice, winner of the 2016 Sela Award for Mysterious and Suspense and the 2016 Carol Award for Short Novel. Blackburn believes in the power of stories, especially those that remind us that true love exists, a gift from the truest love. She's passionate about CrossFit, coffee, and chocolate, don't make her choose, (laughs) as well as experimenting with recipes that feed both body and soul. She lives in Simpsonville, South Carolina, with her true love, Brian, and their three children. Welcome, Lynn.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. You and I have been talking on and off a little bit by email, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I going to keep this conversation short <laughs> enough for a podcast? We'll <laughs> have to try. We can do it. We can do it. We can do this. We can do this. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the deep end at first. I usually try to People kind of, um, you know, walk slowly into the shallow water first. But your book, uh, In Too Deep, which doesn't come out until November 6th, but I'm not sure when, when this episode will air, so it might be out by then. Everyone comes out November 6th, uh, explores human trafficking. And in it's actually in the Carolinas in the United States. And when I was reading the, um, the bio and the press release, I saw that you had a little bit of personal experience in this.
1: Well, it was... It was one of those times I was brainstorming the series idea, and I I thought this particular book would be a good fit to tackle human trafficking, but I knew pretty much nothing about it beyond, I I, I tend to think of human trafficking specifically as sex trafficking, and not, uh, didn't know any other manifestations of what human trafficking might look like. And I was not sure at all what that looked like in the Carolinas or anything like that. And it wasn't, it was maybe a week, two weeks. It was a very short time period later. Uh, I was sitting in church and one of our, we have a a pastor and he's actually mentioned in the acknowledgments of this book because he was a huge help to me on getting my mind around this, but he, uh, we have a pastor of city involvement in our church. And one of the things he does is liaison with our community and find ways for us to serve outside of the walls of our church. And he was talking about human trafficking, specifically uh, labor trafficking. And that was something that I just wasn't familiar with until that time. And he made the comment that this was happening in my town on a road that I'm on 99.9% 99.9% of the days of my life. thats uh, wow. just a few miles from me. And, and his comment was, if you've been up and down Woodruff road this week, you have been within yards of someone who is currently being trafficked. Oh. And I remember sitting there and just, I have chills right now talking about it. I had chills racing up and down my spine. I was, it was a hot summer day and I'm thinking. That's what the book is going to be about. We're not. It's not going to be sex trafficking. It's going to be labor trafficking, and it's a God thing. There were there were already some aspects of the story that had already been. Just I don't. I'm an organic writer. I don't have long, detailed plots, but just a few little tidbits that went. Oh, that will work really well for this story. Uh, and I'm in. I'm just outside of Greenville, South Carolina, which sits right on I-85, which runs between. Charlotte and Atlanta. We're almost right in between the two. And we're a, a, a growing, thriving, wonderful city, but we do have the misfortune of being on a path that makes it very convenient for traffickers to use our area uh, mm. as a way to move people back and forth, we, because we have this highway system. And then in the city that the, the book is set in, which is a fictional city in central North Carolina, Uh, My parents actually lived in that area for quite a few years after I was an adult. I never lived in that area, but I visited frequently. And uh, there is a known problem with human trafficking in the Carolinas, particularly with Hispanic populations, because people come in as immigrants. And it's a known area for uh, we have... um, all kinds of things: apple picking and tobacco fields, and things where migrants will come in and work. And there are places where they know that, that it's it's a. There are people they can easily get a hold of. They can lure them to the area uh, with the promise of work and things like that. And then, because of language issues and uh, sometimes just fear and coercion—always fear and coercion—they uh, have people trapped into situations where they're working truly ungodly hours and have no hope of getting free and no way of knowing that this is wrong and this is not what it's supposed to be. And one of the statistics that was really surprising to me was that this is, this is not an illegal immigration issue. Uh, it, it, well, it could be, but the people coming in, the vast majority of them truly believe they are entering the country legally. They have been lied to, they have been misled, they don't think they're crossing a border illegally and coming in. And in some cases they actually do have legit visas and paperwork, but then it's taken away from them and they don't speak English. They're afraid to go to the authorities. They think they'll be deported or whatever the case may be. It's, it's truly horrific and it's the kind of thing that doing the research gave me nightmares. Uh, there were times when I would finish talking. I actually had a meeting with our pastor, um, city involvement. His name's Jonathan Parker. He's phenomenal. And I, I got back in my car and I was planning to drive over to Starbucks and type up all my notes. And I just, I I just sat in my car and cried. It it was just the hopelessness of it and the, um, oh, the evil, the evil of it just ripped me up. And uh, when I talked to him about it and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really not into writing books. I fiction, I read for escape. I read to enjoy. I I want clean reads. I want reads that are not going to drag me down um, most of the time. But I'm, I'm also, um, sometimes God puts these things in your path and you go, okay, I guess this is what I'm, this is the story I'm writing here.
0: Yeah.
1: But I told him, I said, yeah, I, I have, this is not going to be an expose on human trafficking. It's going to be the base of the suspense plot, but there's only so much detail I can get into in this story I said so and I don't want it to be preachy that's never my goal I'm never never trying to to make something that's heavily preachy and I said if there was anything what what would you want to come out of it and his comment really stopped me cold because he said I would want people to actually believe it's really happening in their town yeah in their town not in a big city not somewhere far away in their town on the streets that they are frequently on because he said you can't get people involved and you can't get people acting to change until they actually believe this really is going on in my community so ultimately that's my my big overarching prayer i guess for the book is that people will believe that this is yes this is a story set in a fictional fictional town but this really is happening really in communities of that size and smaller. This isn't just a big city problem. Yeah. And in fact in some ways it's even worse because these small towns with it's right in our face and we don't we don't see it.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Partially I would I would guess this is the way I would be looking at it if I found out it was in my town I'd be like I don't see it because I would never in a million years have thought slavery is alive and well in my town. I mean sometimes I think we should we should not use human trafficking so much and use slavery because it makes people like have more of a visceral reaction and go wait slavery in my town in the 21st century and and with
1: labor trafficking a lot of people take human trafficking and immediately think sex trafficking and then they think well i'm never gonna i'm never going to perpetuate that i'm never going to be involved in anything like that that's horrible but i'm not i'm not in any way responsible for that But with labor trafficking, I mean, this could be the woman cleaning your table in a restaurant. This could be the, um, you know, the person doing your nails or the person who, um, the housekeeper in the hotel that you just stayed in. And they're not, they're not in shackles, literal shackles. They're not kept behind closed doors. They're out. They're walking around. And I think that's what is so striking to me about it is that freedom is literally there it's in their face all the time and it's not theirs and it and that is just heartbreaking to me and so i I think it's one of those um it's it's one of those things you can never unsee it once you know it and once you've heard it you can't ever stop thinking about it and being aware of it and and just wanting to to get that word out and and do what you can. That there's I I have young kids. I'm I'm not I'm not going out doing raids or anything like that. But I'm like I can write a book. I mean that's yeah. you know that's what I can do. So that's that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> there's something like 45 or 49 countries that have listeners listening to this podcast. So I really hope everybody's asking themselves how can I find out. If this is happening in my community wherever in the world i live and and is there anything that i can do to get involved to just know if it exists maybe you can join you know one of those groups that are trying to find and help these people or maybe you can you know be praying for them or um give to an organization that is helping them i mean there's so Absolutely. many things that we could do but but I would have never known because I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I thought it was something that happened in another country. Exactly.
1: And I, I think that's it. I think we tend to think it's happening in Europe or and we are, uh, my family and our church, but it, my family's very involved with the Set Free Alliance. We support them. They um, do amazing work in India, getting children out of um, slavery in quarries. And it's, I mean, I can't, I can't even watch the promo videos without sobbing through them every single time. But Mm -hmm. that to me is what I thought. And that, that's real. That's a huge, huge issue. But that's, that's, if we think that's what trafficking is, it's over there. It's somewhere else. That's, we're missing so much because it's not just over there. It's right around the corner. And the statistics, I, one of our, one of the homicide investigators that I have been has been so great about helping me with this story, with, with this whole series, I asked him, I said, so human trafficking, big deal, not a big deal. And he just looked at me. He was like, you have no idea. And, and, and I was like, you're right. I, I, I don't. don't. And <laughs> I, I think it's, um, it's we we don't, we don't get a pass on something like that. Slavery is I, I homeschool my boys, and sometimes we talk about they, they, they struggle with that whole like slavery. I'm trying to explain to them what it was like and what the way the world was, and you know, pre Civil War and post Civil War, and all of those kinds of things. And they look at me like, I don't want, who would ever think that was okay. Yeah, and then we've had to have some conversations. We're like, but there are, and then so they'll, and they'll say, Well, there's no slaves anymore, and I'll be like, uh, No, there are. Yes, there are lots of slaves. And then they'll say, well, but not here. And I'm like, well, actually, yes, here. It's not, it's not condoned. It's not legal, but it is happening. And, and so that's something that I, ah, obviously, I'm very passionate yeah. about just getting that word out and, and, and asking people to, to think about, about what they're seeing and to be aware of it. You never know who God might put in your path. Um, that you could be a blessing to or find out what's going on. I'm sure there are people in your community who are tackling this problem and wishing that people would come alongside them and acknowledge the the issue and help them. And, yeah. and it's, it's there in, in every community. And I, it's heartbreaking. And I think that part of it is opening your eyes to what's going on and and then taking some action.
0: Right, right. Well, and uh, I, I rarely, <laughs> I rarely go ahead and jump right into the end <laughs> with the first question. But it was just to me, it was also a shock for, to find out it was happening in your town. Um, particularly because, like my other friend who has written about it, Janice Cantori, she's a former police officer. And honestly, when she said it was happening in America, I thought, oh, that must be one of those things that only police officers know where it's happening and that it's happening. And it wasn't until, you know, reading your information that I was like, wait a minute. So if I was a writer doing research on a book, I might just discover what a horrifying <laughs> fact. So that, you know, wow. So thank you for, for talking about it.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God will just do, I don't know what he's going to do. I, I don't pretend to even know what he might do with it. Uh, I know that the, it was the hardest book I've ever written. There was, wow. it was, it was brutal. And I think when you read it, it's not like the book itself. I, the book itself is not gory or gruesome or, no. or anything like that. I think it's just one of those uh, anytime I'm writing the research that informs the story, there's always so much more information in my head than ever makes it to the page. And I think yeah. just the weight of that uh, really had a, a big impact a big impact on the, the writing of it. And, um, it was, it was a hard book to write. So, um, I'm, I'm excited for people to get it and I'm excited yeah. to see what God's going to do with it. Cause I finished writing it. I turned it in December 10th of last year.
0: Oh, so wow. It,
1: so the, the publication process is long. So yeah. I, I finished it and turned it in almost a year ago. And so I'm, I'm really excited for it to get out and for people to, to finally, be able to read it and, and talk yeah. about it from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, and I have to say, one of the things that I really, really liked about it was that um, I didn't feel like I was being hit over the head with information and you made me <laughs> wonder about different characters in the book. Oh, I wonder what's going on. Oh, wait a minute. I wonder this. I wonder that. So that's always great in a romantic suspense to... <laughs> be wondering and then to be wrong several times that's my favorite part. <laughs> and yay! then and, yay and then at the end you know like there's just enough where you explain what and why and how in like probably a few paragraphs over the course of probably two chapters but it was enough for me to understand and it went along with the story without it being something that I was like oh my gosh I'm going to totally have nightmares about this you know. <laughs>
1: and that's what's so tricky. I, I'm actually a very, um, I don't, I don't do horror. I don't like violence. I, I, I would have loved, truly loved to be like, as a kid, I wanted to be a spy. I just awesome. I thought it would be so cool to be a spy or, an, or an astronaut could have gone either way. <laughs> um, I would have been the worst, spy. I mean, I would have been, I would have been dead on my first mission and there's (laughs) no way I would have been the worst. I am a complete wimp and I, but I, I'm fascinated by it and I appreciate the people who are actually doing this every day. I could Mm -hmm. not do what my characters do. Um, but so I try to write it where it's, it's, it captures that, um, the, the things that we're intrigued by, but doesn't give someone you know, a panic attack reading the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a great segue into your characters. I was really intrigued by Dr. Sabrina Fleming. This is the first (laughs) book that I read, but this is the third book in the series? This is the second in the series. Second, okay. Yes. So I didn't know anything about what had happened, you know, in the first book or to the other characters or whatever. But Sabrina Fleming, she is very interesting. I'm guessing that in your mind, this fictional character maybe is somewhere on the spectrum. She reminds me a little bit about the main character in Bones.
1: Yes, very much like, very much like Bones. I, I, my original version of her in when she appeared in Beneath the Surface, she was a little too much of a caricature uh, originally. I think, um, a little much too, a little too informed by television and not enough informed by good research. Yeah. <laughs> a little too much. I, I love NCIS. She was a little too much Abby Schuto, which I, oh, love Abby, I love Abby, but yeah. this, the, you know, some of the things she does are not realistic, certainly not in the, the time frame. Um, and then also I had, I haven't seen, I only saw maybe the first season, but there was a show called Blind Spot. I think it's still on, um, that was an FBI team in New York. And they also had a forensic computer is, uh, her name was Patterson. And I think it was kind of a combination of Abby and, and Patterson who in my head, but then when I sat down and it's, it's the difference between a secondary character and the point of view character the, the heroine of the story I realized that I did not know her well enough to write her and I had to do a lot of digging. And, uh, there's a fantastic guy. His name's Josh. He is also in the acknowledgements of the book. He does this kind of work. He is a forensic, a computer forensic specialist. He does, um, all kinds of cybersecurity work. He consults all over the country and he was amazing about helping me bring her back <laughs> to a little bit more of a, a little bit more realistic kind of character. Um, she's definitely socially not, she's, yeah, a lot like Bones, a lot like Temperance in, in, in that whole, um, just a little awkward, a little blunt, uh, doesn't always catch all the cues. I watched a lot of Bones while I was writing this. <laughs> yeah. I very much did. So I'm glad actually that you said that. But um, it, was, it was an interesting experience for me as a writer because I realized I'd, I thought I had a handle on who she was. And then when I started to write her, I realized I have, I can't write this character. I don't know who she is. I don't, I don't know what her day looks like. What does she, what does it look like? So Josh was amazing about, I mean, he sent me pictures of labs. He, we talked about the difference between someone's lab who I picture Sabrina is very neat. She's very minimalist. You know, she lives in a tiny house. She drives a mini Cooper. She's not about stuff and things and her lab is very, uh, very neat, orderly, not a lot of fluff, that kind of thing, but he, so he sent me pictures of a lab to help me kind of picture what it might look like, yeah, Uh, and then then he said, of course, that's assuming she's neat, he's like, you could very easily write her, completely realistically, as a total slob, like, it could go, it could go either way, yeah, just depending on her personality, and and that kind of thing, but I love Sabrina, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm geeky and dorky myself, so I think (laughs) She's got some of me in, in that sense. And I always, I have those moments where I'm just like, I walk away from a conversation, shaking my head going, what did you just say? Like, how <laughs> goofy could you possibly be? So I tried to channel some of
0: that for, for Sabrina's sake. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And there's, there's one thing that I, I wrote it down as a question for you. Like when I was reading the book, cause I was like, I must know. So I don't want to say too much just in case you think that it might be any kind of spoiler. Okay. Um, I finished the book, I think, I think yesterday. It was it was one of those days where I'm like, this feels so weird to say, but I'm so glad I'm sick because I can finish reading the book. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. I'm like I need a sick day so I can read. Yeah, yeah. So um, there are a pair of sp- shoes that I would call spy shoes are those real (laughs) well they're
1: not as attractive (laughs) but they are real I I actually googled the whole thing and there are shoes that you can slide the heel off completely and they become flats and they're in they're not very pretty but they're (laughs) intended to be this whole like where you can go from being in heels to if you need to walk distances or whatever the case may be. So, and then there were, there is some, like, I mean, if you Google it, you can find all kinds of crazy spy gadgets and stuff that people will put in the heels of shoes and things. So I just married the two, the, the actual Mm -hmm. shoes. I I actually sent a picture to my sister and her response was those are hideous. (laughs) (laughs) They are. So I, I definitely took some liberties, uh, with the shoes in making them stylish. Yeah. Uh, They're the, I don't know if they've really pulled it off stylishly, but yeah, my brain, I'm willing to believe that perhaps the CIA, FBI, NSA, they've some, there's some girl out there somewhere with some awesome shoes that have some very unique features. I feel (laughs) sure she (laughs) has.
0: Well, you know what? Let me just say, as one of your new readers, I really want you to use the shoes again. Only actually use some of the qualities. Again, I won't say, but some of the qualities that you said that they had. I'm like, oh, maybe like she'll get kidnapped and she'll be able to use the shoe, and <laughs> you that's see, how. You know?
1: <laughs> huh, I'm gonna have to think about that. <laughs> I'm think
0: about that for sure. <laughs> I'm sure people are going. All right, I gotta check out this uh,
1: the book shoes. Box. I don't know. <laughs> <one>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good teaser. That's the idea.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So tell us a little bit about like, how did you ever come up with the idea of writing a series about a dive team? So,
1: uh, right after
0: I sold my first book, I had sold, uh, Covert Justice to
1: Love Inspired Suspense. And that summer, uh, there's a, a place called the Writer's Police Academy. I highly oh, recommend it. Right, yeah. Writers. Um, at the time it was in Uh, they were doing everything in the Greensboro, North Carolina area, which incidentally is within 45 minutes of my fictional town. But that's about a three hour drive for me. So it's very, it was very doable. And, um, but they fill up, they, at the time when they were in Greensboro, the facility, what the room they had limited how many people could come and they really um, it would, it would sell out within a couple of days. And so the registration had been open way back in maybe February and I had missed it. And I had told my husband, I was like, I, maybe I can go the next year. And it was just, I'm convinced it was a God thing. I was at my computer and it popped up on Facebook. The Lee Laughlin is the guy who runs it. And he, he said, we've got seven openings where people have had to back out. And this was just a few weeks away. And he said, um, you know, if you want to go, this is your chance. And I texted my husband and was like, look, what do you think? And he said, do it, just go. And Uh, I was was able to to sign up and, and squeeze in there at the last minute. And while I was there, I was completely over, I mean, it's such a cool concept. They have, um, You can, you can, it's kind of a lottery based system. You sign up and hope for the best, but I got to go on uh, a tour of the jail, which was very, very fun. Some people actually get to do ride alongs. Sometimes they get to go to a shooting range, but the concept of the Writers Police Academy is that there are uh, SWAT, FBI, ATF, detectives, cops, everybody is there teaching writers how to write about law enforcement accurately. And that's why it's called the Writers Police Academy. And yeah. so um, one of the classes was a demonstration by the local law enforcement dive team. And I thought, well, that seems interesting. And so I hopped in and they took us over to the local Y and we're sitting there and I think it's, I don't know what, I don't remember what time of year it was. It was hot and <laughs> inside, you know, in a, inside indoor pools the chlorine, it, you know, your, your face is burning and your eyes are burning. And they were giving us a demonstration of how they would do a search pattern. Um, and they had a body bag and how they would bring up a body. And, and they were talking about the water and how you have to, there are specific uh, techniques for bringing up evidence out of water and things like that. And I sat there and thought this would make a great story and a great <laughs> way to, to jump off of this. And that was in 2014. So that idea marinated for a while until I uh, pitched the series and sold it to Ravel. And um, I'm, I'm super excited about it.
0: Wow. I really like it. And again, um, uh, kudos to the way that you gave us what the reader needed to know about the, the, the research, You know, the 1%, not the 100% in your head. <laughs> yes. Because um, just the, the things that you added, I was like, oh, I didn't know that if you brought a computer up out of a lake, you would need to keep it in the lake water until the forensics person could go through it. Like, And then I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Otherwise the crap would dry onto it and then- yep. Yeah, there.
1: it's like, it's a whole, you don't, you want to dry it out, but you have to dry it out exactly the right way. And if it's dried out before they get it, it can make it impossible to recover. So they'll bring up soil from, like if, if, if there's a weapon or something on the bottom of the lake, they'll yeah. bring it up in like a bucket. Some of the, you know, gunk and mud from the bottom It's really, it's really very interesting. And horrible too and I no idea how they do it I I mm. because a lot of it is in in these books they're usually in the lake but a lot of the reality for underwater criminal investigators is that they're not even looking they're feeling they there's no visibility and so they're in water and they are literally feeling their way and and using their hands and I think I would be extremely claustrophobic in that kind of situation, but it's, um, it's, it's a really fascinating thing. And there's a a great guy, his name's Mike Barry. He teaches a lot of underwater criminal investigators and he was amazingly helpful with, um, helping me get the diving scenes right as far as uh, what they would do and what kind of search pattern they would do and what would they realistically do here. I, some of it I had to, I had to try to, I, I always struggle. You want readers to know you really did your research and this is legit, but you also yeah. don't want it to, I don't need to know how to fly an airplane. You know, so if, if you give me the information that they, they're flipping buttons, that's great. So I, I try to find that line between the right amount of information and the point where readers just start skimming and going, I don't yeah. care. They're, they're diving. I got it. You know, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's a fine line.
0: Yeah, and especially because it depends on the readers. Um, I loved yes. the movie *Hunt for Red October* so much that I went to the library oh. and picked up the book, and I couldn't get through chapter one. I'm like, "Wow!" And this is this is the way that I said it in my head: "This is a boy's book," <laughs> because it was like all oh, these details <laughs> oh. Well, and that's interesting. I actually
1: tell people, I'm like, I'm trying to avoid the Tom Clancy effect, and I was a huge Tom Clancy fan. I have. I, on my bookshelf downstairs, I, I have I haven't read a lot of the recent stuff where he stopped writing and other authors started writing, but mm-hmm. I, I have read a lot of Tom Clancy, and I'm like I do not need to know how to 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 pilot a Soviet submarine. This is just not information I need. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's fascinating, but I don't need to know. I'm never going to drive a Soviet submarine. I'm good. So. Yeah, um, so I do. I even tell people, like, I'm a full, I, that's my, in the back of my head, Tom Clancy is always in the back of my head. I, <laughs> I loved him, but that's t- exactly what you said. It's too much for most readers. That's just too much. Um, it's more detail than we need to tell yeah. the story. And that's always yeah. the line trying to find the right amount of detail to adequately and accurately convey the information without bogging people down in detail that they just don't care about.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, is that you know your readers. They, they want this amount of detail, which is different. Tom Clancy knows his readers. They want <laughs> exactly, that amount of detail.
1: Exactly. exactly.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah, I thought. And really that's the beautiful job.
1: thing. There's room for all of us. So it's all
0: good. Exactly. <laughs> I love all, all right, well, let's talk about uh, a little bit about your writing day, your writing life. Um, you've got uh, three kids, right?
1: I do. I have three. Uh, there's no, I, I would love to have a typical writing day. I, I feel sure one exists somewhere out there, <laughs> but it, it remains elusive. Um, I, yeah, I have three. My oldest is Emma, and she's 15, and she was born with rubenstein taybi syndrome, which almost no one has ever heard of, and that's okay. Uh, so she is very happy in a self-contained special ed classroom at our local middle school, uh, she, we have been being abundantly blessed. Our we have a we have a great public school system here, and uh, she's done wonderfully. She loves school, and it, it's a it's a good fit for all of us. And um, she likes kind of having her own thing. Uh, she doesn't even like it if I try to come and check on her, or uh. <laughs> she's like, "Why? No, it's like, Mom, this is this is mine. You go do you you go do your thing." Yeah, and then she's perfectly happy to come home. So it's a it's a great mix, but. It, um, Emma is developmentally more like a, a, a toddler, uh, four or five. She reads; she's very scattered. Skills she reads really well, she spells really well, uh, but cognitively and development emotionally, she's more more in the four or five year old range. So it's it's kind of like having a teenager, a toddler with teenage hormones. Actually, it's oh, an experience. Yeah. so yeah so uh it's always fun uh but it definitely you know we have our our home is kind of a unique place um we have a lot of locked doors in our house there are spaces that are emma safe and then there are spaces that are not emma safe you know we have to to keep her, she loves my makeup, you know, it's like, please, I've, I've replaced so much mascara over the years. It's just, ridiculous. <laughs> she once wrote the entire alphabet on the bathroom wall with a mascara wand. So it was impressive, uh, you know, yeah, but that is horrible. <laughs> So, yeah, so she just, when she's home, it requires a different level of attention, uh, you know, paying attention to where she is and and that kind of thing. And then, um, but then I have two boys, uh, James is 10 and Drew is seven, and I actually homeschooled boys. So we have, uh, right now they're downstairs, hopefully not destroying the house. And uh, um, they're, I I never, I was not uh, planning to homeschool. I was never opposed to it as a concept for other people, (laughs) but I was like, no, 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 my kids are going to school. And God's like, no, they're not. And it's like, okay, fine. So, and it's been a blessing. I I love it now in a way. I mean, there are days when I just think, please, someone make it stop. But um, (laughs) most of the time I'm I'm really so glad to have this time with them and and to get to do this. So we, um, we typically have a lot of schoolwork in the morning and early afternoon And then I try to get an hour or so in of writing work, whatever that happens to look like at the time, whether it's crafting a new story or editing or all the social media work that comes with launching a book or any of that kind of stuff in the afternoon. And then again, in the evening, my, um, I'm sitting in my office, which is, it used to be storage space off of our bonus room. And we just, a little over a year ago, converted it into an office. So it's really nice. I don't have to leave the house to be able to get a little bit of quiet, yeah. um, theoretically. And, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then I, I usually end up working in the evening a lot. And then on the weekends a lot, I have a wonderfully supportive husband and uh, my parents are both in the area. My mother-in-law's in the area, my sister's in the area. So I, I, Don't hesitate to send out, you know, an SOS from time to time. And they're great about taking them for an afternoon or an evening or, you know, Saturday or something like that, where I can really get a chunk of time. I'm more of a long, if I had my way, I would write in huge chunks of time. You know, I need that time, especially at the beginning of a book when I'm trying to figure it all out. It's really, I know, theoretically, you should be able to write in 10, 15 minute segments, but when I'm really processing a story and trying to think what I'm going to say and where it's going to go, sometimes I need a couple of hours to pretty much stare out the window <laughs> right. and let it give myself that time to get in that space. And then I can, I can go with it, but I don't always have that time. So I have to carve it out wherever I can. So it, it's a very, um, I've tried to be an early morning writer. I think, that would be the most ideal scenario for me. And I get up and I am useless. Um, (laughs) They cannot form creative thought that early in the morning. So I I try to get up and go to the gym early in the morning. That actually works better for me uh, because there's, I'm not trying to think I'm just moving and doing what I'm told. And then (laughs) I'm really awake. I can go from there. So I'm more of an afternoon, evening. I try not to be, but more often than I would like, very late evening, you know, 11, 12, one kind of writer, yeah. and and ultimately it lands on just getting it done, whatever, wherever I am. It, it you know, I'm I'm like a lot of writers. I'm very deadline um, oriented. What I want, motivated. There's yeah. <laughs> nothing quite <laughs> like a deadline. to Give me all the motivation I need to get something done. So um, there's a lot of um, and it it really is not. Um, Writing's very sanctifying for me. I would prefer a schedule that's nice and neat and that I can say, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. The reality is I have to take every day as it comes. And whatever, doctor's appointments happen to come. Um, MSC's a lot of different specialists. So there, there are times when no matter what you think the plan's going to be, there's a lot of other. And yeah. just having to, to really say, okay, Lord, what, what's today going to look like? And then a lot of trust that it will all get done when it needs to get done. And I think it's a combination of knowing when to, um, and I don't know, I'm always learning, but it's a combination of, of trust and hustle. You know, you have, to, you have to, at some point, you have to just trust that there will be enough time to get it all done if this is something God wants you to do. Uh, But, um, but, but that does not, that's not going to work if you're spending all evening watching Netflix on a regular basis. Uh, Occasional Netflix, I'm not anti Netflix, but I don't, I haven't watched, um, I used to watch all the NCISs and I had a handful of shows that I really watched consistently. And last year while I was writing Into Deep, and then writing the third book, I, I haven't, I'm a very sporadic television watcher at this point. I just, I just don't have time. And yeah. that's something I can give up. I, it, I don't want to take time away from my family. Um, so I'm, I'm always trying to find time that would otherwise be downtime that I can use to, to get the writing done.
0: Yeah. Now, when we were talking, you were saying that um, you're happy to uh, give a description of your day, but you didn't want it to be a, a prescription for other people because everybody's yeah. got a different life. But I felt like you probably would have some some bits of advice for how to um, how to work with your partner, how to uh, work around the never knowing what one day is going to look like from another. Because um, there are moms and dads out there who are trying to write a book or are yes. successfully, like you, getting some books done. But, um, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, I might... I, I think that most of us who work alone have moments of feeling like we're the only one who feels the way we do right this minute, even though we know intelligently, intellectually, that that's not the case, but it feels like it. So um, what, what sorts of things could you, you know, speak to to some of those folks?
1: Well, I think it is, communication is key. Uh, in fact, we just my husband and I just had a massive conversation a couple weeks ago because I had a lot of travel in September And when I made the decision to say yes to that travel, it made sense. And then both boys decided they wanted to do sports that they had never done before.
0: Uh, And
1: suddenly we had, you know, I had said yes back in like June. And now all of a sudden we're juggling me being gone and the boys needing to be at practices and games. And it got a little hairy. And so we had to have a little bit of a, okay, what, what are we saying yes to? What are we saying no to? And so I, I think communication with your spouse, um, with your kids, depending on how old they are. My, my kids right now are downstairs, and I told them, I so Mommy needs to go talk to someone for a little while. This is what I need you to do, and we're a team. We're doing this together, and yeah. uh, that's a huge part of it. Uh, they're on board, and they're, they're great about it. Um, and, and, but then at the same time, I, I have a conference coming up in March that I – I told them, I said, now, if I say yes to this, then I will probably miss a basketball game because I'm going to be gone. And if you don't want me to say yes, I won't. And they were both like, we don't care. <laughs> 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 and we're just like, well, you come to most of them. So it's, it, but I think that's where you have to finding that balance between um, doing what you need to do, but also making sure your family knows they really are first and that yeah. that's the priority and then from there it really does require some flexibility that is it but i also personally think it requires recognizing what you have to what you really do have to do and what you really don't have to do um in my case i've never I, not not everyone can afford to do this but i have a housekeeper she comes in twice a month i cannot i can't get it all done And that is something that I've been able to ask someone else to do. Um, I've, uh, we have something here called Shipt. Um, It's like a grocery delivery service. And the first time I heard about grocery delivery, I was like, who are these spoiled people who could (laughs) not even get themselves to Publix? public? I don't understand. And um, now I understand. (laughs) Um, I have actually, they, they also shop at Target. They, they do Target and Publix and a couple places around here. And I have actually put in a shift order for printer ink and had them deliver it to my house. Um, Amazon prime is my best friend. I, you know, I mean, I just, there are some things that you have to look at it and go. And, and part of that for me, I'm a perfectionist and I like to do it all myself. And God really had to work on me about, that whole idea that I have to physically be the one doing everything. And I really don't. And if God has, if God's given me this to do, there are going to be some things that you just have to let go. And, and then even with that, you know, sometimes it's a matter of looking at, Again, I think a lot of us want this week. We want a schedule. where We can say, I'm going to do this on this day and this on this day and this on this day. And I think especially if you have young kids, if you have a child with disabilities or you're caring, a lot of people now are caring for aging parents and right. they're in that in between where they've got kids who still need them and parents who still need them. Then it really comes back down to being extremely flexible, which is really hard for me and something I'm always learning uh, and, and finding the best pockets of time. Uh, one of the tips that I, my writing mentor and friend is Lynette Eason. And she writes romantic suspense as well. And she gave me this tip when her kids were really little, when she went to the grocery store or when she went to run any errand, she would try to leave 30 minutes early and she would take her laptop and then she would sit in the car and she would write for 30 minutes before she went inside. And she's like, I'm already gone. I've already, the kids are, you know, with their dad or with wherever I'm already out of the house. I can, I can grab 30 minutes right there. And I, I have definitely been known to do that. Uh, (laughs) But I, I usually have my laptop everywhere I go because you just never know when there might be some time. Uh, so there's a lot of, of having to look at it and go, I, I don't do it all. You know, people will say, "How do, and I'm like, I really don't. That You know, takeout is a real thing. Uh, <laughs> my kids can eat frozen pizza. Uh, and we just have to, we, and, 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 it, and it ebbs and flows. Like my kids are just finishing up fall sports. And so some of the craziness of our evenings is lessening right now. Um, but then it will kick back up again. So it, and sometimes you have to look at it and go, okay, what can I reasonably do during this time? And then I also, I always tell people, if you're, if you're not sleeping, I mean, if you have a baby, just, oh, please give yourself grace. Uh, there is, um, there's, there's just not much that can be said for your creative mindset when you've actually gotten enough sleep. My youngest did not sleep through the night until he was 13 months old. And there were times when I was just like, I, I can't even form a coherent thought, and I, i'm <clears throat> I am convinced that God absolutely does honor it when we put our families first and then when we're willing to give up some things i <clears throat> I was at ACFw it's the American Christian Fiction Writers Conference a few weeks ago, and um, I slid into a class by uh, Tamara Alexander, and she made this comment and it has just struck. Me so much that uh, there's a scene where uh, David, I think it's David, is going to. He needs to make a sacrifice, and the people are willing to give him the land. And he's like, "No, I will not make a sacrifice that didn't cost me anything."
0: Yeah, I love and that I, part.
1: I think about. I just can't get that out of my head. That I think it's unrealistic, completely unrealistic, to think that you're going to be able to work your writing life into your life, and it's not going to cost you something. It yeah. will. It, it's. And you need to, if you're not willing to do that, that's okay. But be, but own it and just say, I, I can't do that right now. Yeah. Um, it will cost you something. And then you have to decide what is it going to cost you? And what are you not willing to let it cost you? So not willing to have my kids think that I'm putting something else ahead of them. Um, but I'm all, but I am willing to occasionally miss, you know, a game. There, yeah. There's a, and, and that's going to be different for everyone's family. And that's why mm. I'm like, you, you have to take it as, Um, it's not, no one, no one's life is going to completely match yours. I'm very blessed that I have family that lives nearby that are very willing and able to take my kids for stretches of time so that I can get other things done. Not everyone has that. Um, and so I, I really do think it's, it's a lot of being open to suggestions, open to those 10 minute pockets of time, even though that's not ideal, but make it work when you can and then recognize you. You, I, you know, I, I will be the first to admit it. I, I like convenience. I do. I, I wish it was always easy and yet yeah. there's, there's just nothing easy about it and it will be hard and it is work. And I, I used to think, I've, I've heard people say if you know someone who wants to be a writer and if you can talk them out of it, then you should. And <laughs> because it, and I thought, well, that's a bit harsh, <laughs> uh, but I get it now because it is it's work. It requires sacrifice. It requires a lot of effort It can be exhausting to sit in a chair for hours. I mean, you're not physically moving, but it's exhausting. So you really have to think through um, whether or not the cost is something you're willing to, to pay. And, and I think sometimes we just kind of charge into things without thinking about that. And it's, It's just not realistic to think that there's an easy magic bullet that's going to fix all of it and make it super easy for any of us because it's just not true. But I do think being willing to acknowledge that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to do everything every day. It's okay to let the laundry pile up. You know, it it really is. And I, I do. I mean, there are times when we're all, my husband's like, do we, my husband will actually say, uh, is there, Maybe any laundry in a basket somewhere that I'm missing, <laughs> and usually I'm like, um, it might be in the dryer, you know. I don't know. So, um, but yeah. So it's it's. Um, I don't know that that's really helpful at all. But I I, I do think it's it's just a I've, I've had to learn that I I cannot do it all, and there are just going to be some things that just don't get done. And then with it from a writing perspective, even it's easy to feel left out when you see people heading to conferences or going on writing retreats and all of these things. And you're like, Oh, I want to do that.
0: And I, yeah.
1: I have to limit that. I get, I go to a few, but I can't do all. I mean, I could be traveling every month and I, that's just not, it's not realistic for me. Yeah. Uh, and so there is a lot of, of, kind of that, that fear of missing out. Um, and it's real. It, it 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 is real. But I, um, God's timing is perfect, and His His path and His plan is perfect, even though we don't usually see it until we're way down it and look back. Yeah. And um, so I'm I'm always I, I, there's not I don't if you if you if you believe in prayer and I do I I don't think there's anything you can do more important for your career than to pray about it and to ask God to open the doors He wants to have opened. I have. I have missed out on things. I have a couple of very specific things in my career where I had to say no due to some family obligations. And I was really upset. I mean, I, I knew I was making the right choice, but I felt so left out and I felt like I'm, this is never going to work out and I'm not getting to do this. And within a few months, God gave me an opportunity that was even better and was <laughs> a good fit and where I can look at it and see, yeah, that, that thing over there, that was disappointing, but this actually wound up being the very best option. And yeah. God knew that. I didn't know it, but he did. And so I, I just don't think there's any, there's no way to minimize the importance of holding it all in an open hand and, and asking God to show you what he wants you to do. And he, thankfully, is uh, in charge of time. And so, uh, there is, there really is time for things he has asked you to do, but you have to yeah. be really sensitive to what he's going to show you about what to say yes to, what to say no to, and what to give up because he is right. going to ask you to give some things up. That yeah. You yeah. Know. yeah.
0: That's brilliant. That's brilliant advice. I'm sure that people will be able to like thumb through it and kind of figure out, you know, what works for each person. What's what's something they haven't been thinking about or haven't been thinking about for a little while. I know that um, just reminding yourself that you can't do everything, that you're going to have to either give some things up or not do things that you like to do. Like um, I, I do tend to really like to volunteer, but there's a limit to how much volunteering you're going to do unless you're like, okay, well, if I volunteer for an extra four hours a week, that's four hours I'm not writing or whatever else. So
1: yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: Great. Wow. Okay. You know what? I could totally talk to you for so (laughs) long, but there's probably some people who are on a treadmill going, please stop talking. I'm tired. (laughs) Oh. I love it. That's true. Very true. I have to say, I use, um, I use my podcast, um, my own and listening to other people's, as a way to be like, okay, uh, I, will, I will allow myself the luxury of listening to this podcast so long as my body is moving at the same time. And yes. once <laughs> or twice, I've been like, I'm tired. Be quiet now. <laughs> I, I do that with laundry.
1: I'm like, okay, I can listen to this while I'm doing the laundry. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it makes it a little bit easier to take. So yeah, yeah, yeah. get
0: that. Well, listen, Lynn, where can people find you and your books and anything else about, you know, following you? and? Yeah, well, so Into Deep is the one we've been
1: talking about. It's the second book in the Dive Team Investigation series, and it releases November 6th. Uh, the first book in the series is Beneath the Surface, and it's out. You can find it wherever books are sold. Um, And then the third book uh, will be coming out sometime next year. I don't have an actual date. And then um, my website, is just my name, Lynn H. Blackburn. Don't forget the H. Uh, So lynnhblackburn.com. And that's also my social media handle. So Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest is all at Lynn H. Blackburn. I do have a newsletter that people can sign up for on my website. Um, I have a deleted scene from my very first book, and I also have a recipe book. There's a lot of cooking that happens. Uh, these books, we didn't even talk about this really, they're set in the South and very Southern characters. And my, uh, my heroine in the first book, Beneath the Surface, is quite the baker. And so there are some cookie recipes and cake recipes and chicken and dumplings. There's just a bunch of recipes from the series in that uh, little recipe book that are, that's also available uh, to newsletter subscribers.
0: Excellent. Well, I not only loved the book, so I, I don't feel at all guilty. I really want to learn how to make some of the things Lee was making. I would be like, homemade cinnamon rolls. I've never made homemade cinnamon rolls. I want to. I not put that one in there. I should. My 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 husband's grandmother
1: made the most amazing homemade cinnamon rolls. Oh. I should find that recipe. I should put that one in there for sure.
0: Yeah, whenever I was reading a, a scene where uh, Lee was trying to make people feel better because they'd just been blown up or whatever, <laughs> yes, and she would be, yes. thinking, I'm like, she is a woman I want to be friends with. <laughs> Lee's, Lee's love language is definitely food,
1: and I can get behind that. I'm, I'm kind of with her on that one. So. <laughs> That's
0: Awesome. <laughs> Well, listen. Thank you so much for sharing about your book about this this terrible thing that we all need to be a little bit more uh, aware of, which is good, and also about you know some of the fun things that have to do with well, food and uh, writing tips. I mean, we we've really covered all of our bases today. Yeah, we did good. We only went fifteen minutes over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's okay because we all needed the extra time on the treadmill, right? I like
1: it (laughs) because of the cinnamon rolls. (laughs) That's
0: right. That's right. have to go buy some cinnamon rolls tomorrow <laughs> after I get off the treadmill. <laughs> I don't I think it works it. that way, does it? <laughs> no, sadly, no. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Kitty. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it.